and we will be seated. Matthew 5. We're going to cover just verse 6 today, uh, but I want to read for us verses 1 through 6. This, this is God's word. Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, the the promise that we hear this morning from your word is that those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied in you. God, I pray that in every way, as your people, we would believe that. That we would believe it not just in our minds, but Lord, we would believe it in our lives. That our lives would reflect the the hunger that you've placed within us. The hungering and the thirsting for you, Lord, would you satisfy us this morning with yourself? Help us, we pray, Lord Jesus, now, by your spirit, for your glory, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start us this morning uh, by just considering a very simple and most basic question. Uh, And this is for believer, unbeliever alike. Um, And it's just a simple question of what what satisfies you most in your life? What satisfies you most? And and, and don't just tell me the Sunday school answer. I mean, I, I would want to know... What does your life tell, tell the world around you satisfies you most? Blaise Pascal, if, you, if you're familiar with this quote has been used here before. Pascal was a guy, he's actually one of my favorite uh, mathematicians. Uh, when I was going through engineering school, we learned about Blaise Pascal. Pascal is actually where we get the measuring unit for the Pascal. And he was a theologian as well. And he said this, he observed this, I think very helpfully so. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. And his point is, is that everybody, all mankind, is pursuing their greatest happiness. But the inability that he talks about, and he goes on to explain that the inability in in us as humanity is to be satisfied in that desire. Then he goes on, and this quote is what's always known from Blaise Pascal, but nobody knows where it comes from. Let me tell you, it's Blaise Pascal, okay? This is what he goes on to say. But these, he means all these desires, are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable or unmovable object. That is to say, only by God himself. So this idea that we all have a God-shaped hole in our lives, and there's only one thing that can satisfy us, and it's God himself. So I want us to see today, if you're, you're taking notes, I want you to see this. It's at the top of your page. The hungry 
find satisfaction in the righteousness of God. God fulfills this promise of satisfaction by implanting righteousness for right living. So I want us to see, notice, notice again what he says in, in verse 6. If you jump down to verse 6 again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I want us to see that true satisfaction for those who hunger. The promise of Scripture, the promise that Jesus gives to his followers, is to satisfy those who are hungry. Now, notice the progression where we've been in the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude was the poor in spirit. So it basically is the stairway to heaven, except it's a stairway down. And it goes like this. Spiritual bankruptcy draws a man's heart low before God. Mourning for sin expresses the spiritual bankruptcy within us. Gentleness toward God and man because of the person's lowly position. But now Jesus starts to turn the coin a little bit. That's all negative. He starts to tell us this is what the Christian will pursue. This is what the Christian is there's somebody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. So I want us to see hungering and thirsting. We need, to, we need to unpack three things, four things. We need to see first, what do we mean by hunger and thirsting? And then we need to see what are we thirsting for? And then finally, what are we going to be satisfied with? Okay, so that's, that's where we're going. The hungering and thirsting. It's the longing to be filled. Now this, this actually even what Jesus is saying here, kind of falls... I would say it falls on deaf ear a little bit for Western people, because uh, we live in the land of plenty. I don't remember the last time I was really famished for food, or the last time I was really famished for water. We, we have three square meals. Everyone's trying to get their daily intake of water. People are walking around with the big containers. Have you seen them? That it's like, I've made it. I've made it to my big container of water. But I want you to picture a man wandering in the desert, Wandering in the desert for a whole day, expending himself by walking, standing under the blazing hot sun, and having no nourishment, what would he be at the end of the day? Hungry? Thirsty? And I don't know if you've ever had that experience of not having water for, a, for an extended amount of time, but it, it literally begins to dry your mouth in such a way that it, it begins to, like, your tongue, like, stick into the roof of your mouth, and there's all sorts of weird things that begin to happen. But I want us to see that the hungering and thirsting that Jesus is talking about here isn't something that's just for the new Christian. It's actually the life of the Christian. That hungering and thirsting isn't how we just enter the kingdom. It's actually the life of the Christian. So it's a continual longing. It's a continual longing. It's not something we shouldn't expect for this to be something that goes away. Even the tense of the verb that Jesus uses here is a continual hungering. They're going to hunger and keep on hungering. The longing for satisfaction never really goes away. It's a longing that, that life will never truly satisfy. So it's a continual longing. I want us to see also it's an unsatisfied longing. It's an unsatisfied longing. There's nothing, there's nothing in mine and yours life that will satisfy you from the unquenchable hungering that the Christian is meant to have. A satisfaction that takes us away from ourselves and the temporary pleasures of this world. Augustine, 
I think very helpfully. This is another quote that's well known of Augustine that people say they don't know where it comes from. There's actually a song now that quotes this, and I want you to just hear it. And this is his prayer in the Confessions. He says, because you have made us, he's referring to God, because you, God, have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. They're restless. Our hearts yearn and ache. So what will satisfy them? That's, what, that's the question I want us to consider. And the answer Jesus gives here of what's going to satisfy the Christian whose hungering and thirsting and longing is righteousness. Now, when you think righteousness, there's, I want to define righteousness this way. Righteousness is the desire to be free from sin of every kind. Okay, so that if you're thinking about the Pauline language of righteousness, you're probably thinking about justification, sanctification, but I think he has more in mind here than just simply Paul's understanding of justification. Righteousness is both inward and outward. Righteousness is the hungering to put sin to death in our lives. Righteousness is the thirsting to be declared right before God. But it's also to see righteousness all around us. Now, think back to that man in the desert. What would we make of him if he came in from the desert after not eating for a whole day, and maybe he was invited to a feast? And at the feast, here's the feast that's laid out on the table, and at the feast, rather than coming and eating and drinking, he's like, you know, there's a band. I like that sound. I'm, gonna go, I'm just going to go listen to the band. I don't need to eat. Sitting there clapping. You can see what he's there snapping. And he preferred the music to the eating. What would we say of that man? That's really weird, isn't it? What would we say of him if he preferred, maybe they had games, they had like cornhole and whatever. If he's rather than eating and drinking... He comes and he's like, ah, see if I can make a hole in one here. Hasn't eaten all day. Deathly hungry. Deathly thirsty. Isaiah 55 talks about this. Notice what God tells the people. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters and he who has no money. Come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Notice the qualifications for coming and eating. It's hungering. It's thirsting. And the person who, does, who comes to that meal and refuses to eat, what would we say of them? Something's wrong. Something's wrong with them mentally. They don't realize how hungry they are. Oh, and brothers and sisters, that's the world we live in. We live in a world that is people are, are hungering and thirsting, and yet they try to fill it with all the things that will never satisfy them. God's only requirement to the hungry is to eat, is to come hungry for the the meal. God's only requirement for the meal is to come hungry. It's to bring your appetite. But what about the person that doesn't have an appetite? If you're not a Christian sitting here today, if you're if you're come in and you're thinking, man, I'm I'm not a believer here today, or maybe you you hear this every week, week in and week out, but you know, like I'm I'm not really a Christian. I don't hunger for righteousness. I want to say of you, you're just like the man in the in the desert. You need to hear someone say to you today that you're just like the man that has all his desires wrong. You're just like the man who comes in hungry and thirsty from the desert and is sitting trying to fill it with TV, with money, with sex, with power, whatever you're trying to fill it with. 
and unchristian, non-believer, I want you to know it will never satisfy you. It will never satisfy you. So what is it then? Okay, so what are they hungering for? There's a hungering and a thirsting. It's a longing to be filled. But with what? We need to figure out with what particular is Jesus saying we need, we hunger for and thirst for. And I would say it's righteousness. But what kind? Okay, so I want us to look at two, two kinds of righteousness. So hungering first for inward righteousness. It's hungering for inward righteousness. Notice again what he says in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I think one of the great tragedies of the last 50 or 60 years is, is what's called modern, modern theological liberalism. Okay? We don't, we like, that's a big, fancy term. All it simply means is people who view Jesus not as much about what Jesus has done, but more about the example that Jesus sets for us. Modern liberalism could be defined as following Jesus without the good news of the gospel. It's trying to follow Jesus' example without the power to obey it. And unfortunately, I, mean, I think many people I talk to, I'm actually very surprised how often people long to be good. They long to do right. They long to be moral. But there's a very important piece we need to understand here. Is it's not their own righteousness. And, and, and the modern liberal, this would, theological liberal, I'm not talking political liberal, I'm talking about theological liberal, this really rakes against them. Because what you have, if, I don't know if you've ever asked somebody, are you a Christian? And they'll respond to you with something like, I'm trying to be. Maybe, maybe I, I feel like I, that's actually a pretty common answer. And sometimes when they mean I'm trying, it just means they're in a really bad season. The Lord's really working on them. Sure. But what happens to the Christian? There's also a diabolical part of that statement. I'm trying to be a Christian. You don't try to be a Christian. You don't try to be hungry. That would be like that man coming in out of the desert and being like, you know, I should eat. I'm trying to be hungry. You don't try. You just are hungry. If Christianity gets deduced to trying to be a good person, trying to be a good t- person type of lifestyle, it will crush you. Because the question swirls around, how good is good enough? How good do you have to be? How much good does one need to do to be doing good? We should not think that righteousness is a general morality or a general respectability. Because I will argue, everybody, our whole society, wants that. They want general righteousness, of course. They want to be a good person. But it's not enough. It's not a partial righteousness. It's not a partial goodness. So I want us to see two things about it. The first, the inward righteousness, is a whole righteousness. Now this seems like a nuance, but I want, I want to bring it out from the text. Look down at verse 6. It seems like a nuance. I want you to see it, though, for yourself. So the text says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, typically, when you, say, when you use that word, in, in Greek particular, you would say something like, I hunger for some bread, or I hunger for a drink of water. But it's almost like Jesus is making hyperbole here. He's actually saying, it's not, I'm hungering for some righteousness. He's saying, it would, it would be like me saying, I'm thirsty for all the water. Give me all the water. I don't want just some of the water. I don't want just some of the righteousness. Give it all to me. 
It's hyperbole. It's impossible to give him, from the, even from the Greek text, he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for all the righteousness. Not just some of it. It's not some righteousness. It's the righteousness. And notice again what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for just a better life, not for being a good person. It's for the righteousness. The Christian is not satisfied with a little bit of a good life. The Christian is not satisfied even with the righteous life that comes from within him. I think Jim, Jim Boyce very helpfully says, Oh, how happy is the man who knows enough not to be satisfied with any partial goodness with which to please God. Who is not satisfied with any human goodness. He alone is happy who seeks the divine righteousness. Because God will certainly provide it. So the question then resides, how do we get this whole righteousness? The answer does not come in how we achieve it. It comes in who gives it. We don't get God's righteousness by something we do. We get God's righteousness by trusting a person, friend. And I want us to see God's righteousness. Now, Jesus, there's actually multiple points. Maybe even turn there, actually, if you will, to John 6. I want us to see what Jesus himself, even there's, there's a point in the Gospel of John in particular, that Jesus feeds the 5,000, if you remember this story. And he tells them basically the same thing that, I'm, that we're seeing even here in Matthew 6, or Matthew 5. John 6, if you turn to verse 26, I just want you to see it for yourself. He just fed the 5,000. He gets on the water, he walks across the water, and they come to him. The crowd does again. And notice what he says to them. Verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me, not, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And he's saying to them, you're not seeking me because you know I'm true. You're not seeking me because you know I'm, I'm, I'm the Messiah. You're not seeking me for any of these other reasons. You're seeking me because your belly's hungry. Because your belly's not, not full, and you want it to be full again. And he criticizes them, and he tells them. Notice what he says again in verse 26. You're not seeking, you are seeking me not because you saw the, saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And he'll go on to say in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. They felt the daily longings for water. Wanted sa- satisfaction. They felt the daily pangs for food. They felt the daily pangs for, for, for feeling filled again. And Jesus tells you, stop working for that. There's something bigger in front of you. Notice what he says again in verse 27. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, that's on the Son of Man, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we be doing to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then Jesus will go down, actually in verse 35, and he'll say something like this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Ah, there we see it, don't we? How does Matthew 5, 6 and John 6, 35 square up? Jesus says he himself is the bread. 
He himself truly satisfies. The truly hungry person will only be satisfied in the righteousness of Christ. The the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. You know, I love, everyone has this experience. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of eating a piece of cake or eating a piece of pie, that when you eat it, mine's apple dumplings. I love apple dumplings. And immediately you eat it and you think, everything is right. All the world is good. Until what? Until you finish that piece. And then immediately, and again, I'm not criticizing our eating. Like, sure, sure, maybe we shouldn't eat the extra piece of cake or whatever. Sure. That's not the point. The point is that we all know that feeling of satisfaction, temporary satisfaction. But what Jesus is saying here is there's something like that, but far greater for the Christian. The Christian has that feeling of the apple pie or the cake all the time, knowing over and over and over and over and over and over again that I need, I need righteousness. I need somebody else's righteousness to fill me. And unfortunately, what we tend to, what we tend to in the Christian life really leaves us in a worse place, doesn't it? I would argue what we end up doing, which is similar to the apple pie and to the cake, is something like self-flattery and self-hatred. We move between, man, I'm doing really well. Look how good I'm doing as a Christian, to I'm an awful Christian. I'm so bad. Oh, naughty me. No, that's not the life of the Christian. Self, self-praise to self, self-hatred. We flatter ourselves because we think we're doing well and then speak poorly of ourselves for not doing well enough. But is that what Jesus says? Does he say, here's what you'll do. You'll, you'll waffle between really being a good follower and then you'll be a bad follower. And then you should punish yourself. No. What's he say? True satisfaction. Notice what he says again in verse 35. I am the bread of life. He doesn't say, you're the bread of life. Keep trying to fill yourself. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. True satisfaction comes from the declared righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. True satisfaction comes for those who are approved in God through Christ. So it's not about waffling between how good am I doing and how bad am I doing. What's it about? Eating, feasting on Christ. Because it's then that we're satisfied. And you know, the next immediate question we want to ask as Christians, we we wonder, well, well, how much? How much, Daniel? You're saying I need to feast on Christ. You're saying it's only in Him that I can be satisfied. What else? What else? How much do I need here? And I want to argue it's not about a quantity. It's actually about a quality of hunger. Think about, think about it like this. Go back to that man that has come, come out from the desert. If he comes out from the desert, hasn't eaten all day, hasn't drank anything all day, comes into a party where there's a meal set before him, how much does he eat, need to eat to live? The answer is anything. The answer is anything. If he knows his hunger, that's his passport to come and eat. The person who shouldn't eat is the one who doesn't know they're hungry. To think about it like this, to live is to breathe as a human. To breathe is to be alive. So how much breath do we need in a given day? Um, any. We'll just keep doing it. 
It's the wrong question. It's not about how much we need. It's about a quality of, of, of hungering. So the hungry find satisfaction in the righteousness of God. And the second type of righteousness I want us to see, so the first is inward, the second is outward. It's hungering for outward righteousness. And I would put it to you like this. I included this statement just right below that. It's, it's these two elements of righteousness. The righteousness of God, that produces righteous living. So it's the hungering of God, not just for some spiritual righteousness. It's righteousness, imputed righteousness, given to us that works itself out in righteous living. You know, there was a, um, a situation that happened this year with uh, the Asbury Revival. I think everyone's pretty much familiar with the Asbury Revival. And again, I don't, I'm not going to comment on the revival itself. If you want to know more, talk to me. I'll, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on it. I'm not going to comment on that at all. But something happened, and everyone, I think everyone has observed this at some level. What happened during the Asbury Revival, I think, was really unique. Because what happened is what, there, there was this there was word that there was a revival happening in Asbury. And I think what everyone did is really interesting to me. People were flocking to, to there to, to go see it, weren't they? they? They were flocking. Hundreds of people, thousands of people were flocking there. But does Jesus tell us to pursue that here? I think this is interesting because I, I saw there was much... And again, I don't, want to, I don't want to criticize it unequivocally, but I think there is a, there's a tendency in us to pursue experiences above righteousness. There's a tendency in us to say, oh, something good's happening over here. Let me go be a part of that, rather than what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't say go pursue every experience that, that comes our way, does he? He actually says that we should pursue what? Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think Lloyd-Jones is very helpful. It's not that we shouldn't have Christian experiences. Notice what he says. The experiences are the gift of God. What you and I are to covet or to seek after is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, the experiences are the gift of God. We don't pursue the gift. We pursue righteousness. We pursue the righteous life. That's what I want us to see, the righteous life. You know, unlike, unlike the Pharisees, Jesus will criticize them later and, and say um, in, in Matthew, we won't look at that right now, but he will later say, actually even in the Sermon on the Mount, he'll say, for I tell you, this is everybody, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Part of the reason he says this is that the Pharisees were not actually doing righteous things. They, they, what they would do, they would do things like they would see the needs of widows, and what they would say is, you know, we're not going to give to the needs of widows. What we're going to do is we're going to tithe all the itty-bitty things in my home. I'm going to tithe the mint and the cumin. It would be like me seeing someone who's poor outside my house who needs a meal, and I would go and take all the pennies in my house and go give them to the church. That's the equivalent of what they were doing. But the righteousness of Jesus' followers must be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. And you wonder, how do we do that? How does that come about? Jesus says, actually in John 7, he says where this will come from. He says, we just heard it read this morning. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, there it is again, thirsting, hungering, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The person who comes to Jesus Christ and drinks has true life flowing from within them. This doesn't come of ourselves. This comes through the Holy Spirit who's been made to dwell in us. You know, it's right for us as Christians. There's actually several things I want to highlight. Even here in town. If you're driving through town and you see, um, I forget where it's at. It's on the left, maybe, if you're coming this way. Uh, the, food, the food pantry. As we see things like that, we should rejoice as Christians. As we see things like the, the um, James Isaac house, we should rejoice. We should, even when people, we see people get arrested for things that are unjust, unlawful, we should rejoice. It's not that we should not pursue outward righteousness. We need to celebrate when we see outward righteousness. But we ourselves need to pursue not just a righteousness that is by faith, a righteousness that works its way out into the lives of other people. Listen to what Jesus says in in Luke 14. You don't need to turn there. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Warren Wearsby, I think, very helpfully says, it's when we serve others that we ourselves receive the greatest joy and satisfaction. So it's not just simply uh, inward righteousness in some spiritual sense. Even as we pursue outward righteousness, we are satisfied. We should not only celebrate righteousness outwardly, we should pursue it ourselves. So here's the promise. This is where I want to end, end with us. Is this. It's the promise of what he says there in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The hungry are satisfied forever. The hungry are satisfied forever. And I want us to consider two ways of what this looks like. And it's first to be satisfied completely. You know, we heard it read this morning, and we even sang it this morning from the psalmist. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Psalm 42 and 43, actually, represent a place in the psalmist, in in the Psalter, where they have been removed out of Jerusalem. And they're longing, they're hungering to come back to God's throne. Which makes them cry out, as a deer pants for flowing streams. I don't know if you've ever been in the woods when a deer is really thirsty. They will literally walk around like with their mouth, I'm not going to do it, with their mouth like gaping open and their tongue literally panting. Just like a, like a dog almost would pant. And he's saying, God, I'm so hungry for you that I'm like a deer panting for flowing streams. And there's just one question for the Christian that the, the person, a person needs to consider. Do I pant? Do you pant for the living God? Are you satisfied in Christ? Notice what he'll go on to say in, verse, in chapter 43 when he says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me back to your holy hill and to your dwelling. 
Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, the psalmist here, he realizes where his greatest joy is found. And it's in God himself. For Psalm 84, this is what David says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God, the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. David knows that true satisfaction comes in God alone. And he'll say it again in, in Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, brothers and sisters, we don't have to pursue satisfaction. We actually don't have to pursue even others speaking of us well. We don't have to pursue any of those things. Our job is to pursue righteousness. And as we pursue righteousness, you know, this is actually how the Christian, this is how me and you can walk into a room where we're hated and be at peace. We don't pursue peace. We pursue God, and we find peace in Him. We rest satisfied in our, when we're trying to rest satisfied in ourselves for people to speak well of us, it falls apart when they speak poorly of us, doesn't it? We need to beware of a kind of pseudo-spirituality that is both dangerous and deceptive, that tries to, to, to comfort ourselves by, by controlling the environment around us. It is not a satisfaction that Jesus is talking about that goes with the whims of emotions. But true, real, lasting satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ alone. I love what Augustine, Augustine is helpful here. He says this, he says, Find satisfaction in Him who made you, and only then find satisfaction in yourself as part of His creation. So it's a, it's a complete satisfaction, and I want us to notice the last piece, is it's a satisfied, we're satisfied by God himself. Notice again what he says in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now again, sometimes, sometimes the nuances of a theological text are helpful, or of a text is, is helpful. And that word satisfied is actually what's called a divine passive. And that might sound, uh, I don't really care about that. I don't know what that means. But it's kind of like this. The passive tense sounds something like this. My children shall be fed. So that term fed is passive. That means that my children aren't the ones feeding themselves. And for me and you, the satisfaction doesn't come from us. The satisfaction comes from God. It's something he does to us. They are the objects of they are the objects of the satisfaction. And he's the one who gives it. I want us to consider again that man in the wilderness. He comes out of the desert and they have a table laid forward. All the best food you could imagine. All the best food you could imagine laid before him. Now the question is, where did it come from? Where did the food come from? Who laid it out? Did he lay it out? He's been out in the desert all day. Brothers and sisters, our satisfaction doesn't come from me and you. 
It comes from God himself. And actually, what we're actually getting ready to do is really actually prophetic as well as exemplary of what we're doing. This meal is a reminder to us of the satisfaction that can only come from God. And the fact that it's here and prepared for us already is just a glimpse. It's a glimmer of the kind of satisfaction that God offers to us. And he tells all those who hungry, who are hungry, come and eat. I'm not the one telling you, hey, come and eat. Jesus Christ himself says, if you hunger, feast. If you hunger, eat. Be satisfied in him. So if the deacons, if we can have, uh, Tony, uh, not Tony, sorry, Jared and Norm, if you guys want to come forward, we'll go ahead and pass the elements.